Hello and welcome to the Line of Scrimmage podcast presented by Tomahawk Nation. My name is Tim Allenball and over the next 15 to 20 minutes, we are going to chop it up with a member of the beat from Florida State's next opponent, which is the Pittsburgh Panthers. So joining us today to talk about Florida State and Pittsburgh coming up this weekend is Corey Cohen. Corey, thanks so much for jumping on. Uh, I wanted to make sure I was saying this right. Uh, you're from the Pit Talk Network, is that correct? That is correct, yeah. Pit Talk Network, your home for all things Pit Panthers on the Fans First Sports Network. Man, I was looking at your Twitter or X profile, whatever it's called nowadays. You are a busy man, so uh, thank you so much for carving out some time with us. Happy to do it. Yeah, uh, so let's just jump right into it. Uh, entering the season, uh, Pat Narduzzi had compiled a 62-41 and 41 record at Pittsburgh, with his worst season coming back in 2020 when he was six and five uh, coming into this season, the Panthers were considered kind of a dark horse for potentially competing for the ACC uh, championship. I remember looking at this part of the schedule and circling this game and thinking, man, that's a scary game happening right there at the beginning of November. But unfortunately this season has been anything but successful. Phil Jerkovic went from NFL draft draft prospect to tight end. Uh, from quarterback uh, in just a two to three years period, the Panthers are at two and six. I guess kind of like thousand foot view. What is going on at Pittsburgh? Uh, a lot's going on and none of it's good. Uh, I'm the same as you in that entering the season after week one, I thought, oh, this game's going to be incredible. In fact, I bought tickets with my friends from college to go to this game thinking this could be an incredible matchup. This could be a preview for the ACC championship game. I think everyone was looking forward to it, and it just has not gone that way for one of these two sides. Um, the Knowles have held up their end of the bargain. The Panthers have not. What has gone wrong? The number one thing, overall, it's the offense. And who runs the offense? That is offensive coordinator Frank Signetti Jr. He was over at Boston College, and... He did an okay job there, but it was just a very decades-old kind of offense. But Pat Narduzzi kind of wanted that. So he brought Frank Signetti in from BC. Signetti's a, a Pittsburgh native. He's got ties to the city. So, okay, there's that. And this was after losing Mark Whipple, who was the offensive coordinator for the ACC uh, championship team in 2021. And it wasn't inherently bad that Whipple left because he had some some issues that I think people took problems with in terms of his play calling. But the hire of Signetti has not worked out at all. As I said, his offense is run like it was before the forward pass was invented. It uh, he He loves ground and pound. He's not really sure what to do. He's not sure how to get players involved. Uh, he's not sure how to coach players up. And he ultimately went all in on one player at the most important position in sports who he loved, who lost this team, you could argue, three games. And that was Phil Jerkovic, who was a Pittsburgh area native. Pitt recruited him out of high school. They didn't land him. He went to Notre Dame, didn't get any snaps there, decided to transfer to Boston College, had a decent career with them some injuries but he was okay got to pit and people were hoping now he's going to take that big step up and it was the exact opposite he completely regressed 
his arm was basically falling off. Like his, he was just not a quarterback anymore. And Frank Signetti had a relationship with him, had a lot of trust in him. And the head coach, Pat Narduzzi is a defensive guy. And he puts a lot of trust in his offensive coordinator to make decisions, including personnel decisions. And so for the first part of this season, he was trusting in Frank Signetti to decide who the best quarterback was. And he went with Phil Dracovic and Dracovic in those first handful of games uh, was just atrocious. There's no other way to say it. Not only were there incompletions, but the incompletions weren't even nearby receivers. There were some just backbreaking plays. It was a mess. And again, he, you could argue single-handedly lost the games against Cincinnati and West Virginia and Virginia tech. So, not a great start. They did make a change after the bye week. Uh, and so things maybe, you know, will have righted the ship. Uh, but certainly the first part of the year was the offense was terrible. And the offense was terrible largely because the quarterback was and the offensive coordinator was. And Pat Narduzzi is a stubborn head coach, which can be great and can be awful. And in this case, I think the stubbornness from both Narduzzi and Signetti to stick with Djokovic for as long as they did really hurt this team. And they finally did make a change, but I, at that point, it was too late. Yeah, so let's let's start at that quarterback. Uh, Djokovic transfers over, was completing an abysmal 50% of passes, and I can't remember which game it was. I remember early in the season I tuned in, and when you said he wasn't even close on completing those passes, it was... It was crazy how bad he was missing. It, it was it was awful. Uh, they they turned over to uh, I, I might hopefully I'm saying this right uh, Christian Valu. So uh, it's it's pronounced he's French Canadian. Okay, you would think it'd be pronounced um, Veyu, but he actually pronounces it Veyer or Veyer. Wow, I should I really should have prepped you before the call. So Christian Veyer, uh, who took the who took the snaps and uh, actually led them to the win over Louisville. Um, so really what can Florida state fans expect from Baylor? Uh, yeah. So, so Christian Veyer, he's a, uh, he's a, um, he's a transfer from Penn state. He just had one start at Penn state and came into this program and he was a backup, a lot of talent, but people weren't entirely sure. People were hoping Dracovic would work out. And, and I understand why they started Dracovic from, from the jump. But as you said, his stats were abysmal. And in fact, that completion percentage in all of his stats were counting the first game of the season against Wofford, an FCS team that he obviously padded a lot of stats against FBS teams against, you know, conference and non-conference opponents. He was even worse. It was, wow. it was really atrocious. So yeah, his, his stats against uh, FBS teams, were brutal. So they bring in Christian Veyer during the bye week. He becomes a starter and coming out against Louisville, he has a phenomenal first game. He's the starting quarterback against the Cardinals. They they win the game. He looked good on on certain drives, other drives. He looked like he could use some work, but ultimately he did what they needed to do and the offense put up points and he looked like a really promising quarterback. He also looked pretty good against Wake Forest. Now, Ultimately, the offense is still bad because the offensive coordinator, Frank Signetti, still is not getting the right personnel involved, still frustrating play calls. So there's only so much he can do. And it is his 
first year really starting. Again, he just had one start against Penn State. I believe it was against Rutgers. But he certainly has talent. He's got the arm strength. He's got zip on his ball. He does need to work on some accuracy. He needs to work on getting on the same page with some of his receivers. But he's got a lot of raw talent. And he also has that intangible, that X factor. He's got that dog in him. I mean, against Louisville, he goes up against an undefeated team that's playing really well. And he beats him. And he looks good doing it. And then Wake Forest... He led what should have been a game-winning drive at uh, at the very end. The, the Panthers scored with, I believe, 90 seconds left on the clock, and he led that team all the way down the field for that drive. So when it really counts, he seems to be a very promising quarterback, but he's still young. He still makes some mistakes. We saw them plenty of them against Notre Dame. So he's certainly unpolished, certainly room to grow. But he's definitely got talent and there's finally some promise because he does have a, a couple of years of eligibility after this, as opposed to Dracovic, who's a sixth year senior. I mean, he's done. So it really <laughs> right. was spinning wheels, starting him as many games as they did. All right. So I'm going to have to write that down. Vayer, uh, as as the name that I butchered this season last year, uh, I, I butchered all the guys from Louisiana Lafayette because they all had French Canadian names as well. So, um, so let's talk about the backfield. You're talking about an offense that's struggling. Uh, really, a two headed monster back there with Sibo. Uh, is it Flemister? Flemister. Flemister and Rodney Hammond Jr. I got that one. Two backs that were pretty close in carries, pretty close in yards, but. Talk about their style. Are they similar type running backs or is it kind of a, you know, thunder and lightning type backfield for, for Pittsburgh? They are relatively similar. They, I think in my opinion, Rodney Hammond has a bit more talent. I think he can be more explosive. The issue with Rodney Hammond is twofold. One, he's apparently been banged up a nagging injury. They're not being incredibly transparent, but the the general sentiment is that he is not at 100% and, and hasn't been. The other problem is, and this might be tied into that, is that he's just not getting the carries that, in my opinion, in many people's opinions, he should. He should be the number one starter in Flemister as a very reliable backup. But instead, it's been, even if occasionally Hammond will be out there for the first drive, it's been Flemister getting some more of the snaps, and in, in some high-pressure situations, it's Flemister. And I like him. I think he's got talent. But in my opinion, Rodney Hammond can be a game-breaker. He just hasn't been in the position to do so. And you can't really get into that rhythm unless you get the snaps, unless you get the carries, and you've got some, some trust that you're going to stay out there. And they haven't really given him that this year, which has been frustrating because last year he had some breakout plays, some breakout drives. But he was stuck behind Israel Abanakanda, who got drafted into the NFL in, I believe, the fourth round. So there was only so much he can do. And a lot of people thought this would be a breakout year. And I still believe he has the talent for that. But he has just not been utilized that well by Signetti's offense. Corey, we're three questions in, and I'm really sensing the offensive frustration. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, Let's jump over to wide receivers. I feel like the Panthers have a pair of talented wide receivers in Kanata Mumfield and Bub Means. Uh, and and really for the first time this year, I think Florida State's going to face their biggest tight end threat uh, with, with Gavin Bartholomew. But you mentioned 
that the offensive coordinator just really struggles about getting the ball in the playmakers' hands. How might we see Pitt involve these talented uh, these talented players? Uh, I think that's a, a question that a lot of even Pitt fans are going to be asking because <laughs> Gavin Bartholomew is arguably the most talented player on this offense. I would certainly make that case. But he does not get nearly as many targets as he should. When he gets targeted and when he catches the ball, it's often for big gains, 20 yeah. plus yard receptions, but it just doesn't happen much. There were multiple occasions, and I can go back during this season where he would have two receptions. One was for like 22 yards, the other for 26 yards, and that was it. And so it's, you see that this can work. You see that this is working, and then you don't go back to the well. And it's been incredibly frustrating for many people to watch. Against Notre Dame, he had no receptions against wake forest. He had three receptions uh, against um, uh, Louisville. He had two receptions against Virginia tech. He had three receptions. So you can sense the pattern here. He just is not getting involved and he is supremely talented. It was the North Carolina game. I was thinking of two receptions combined for 59 yards. And that was it. He didn't even have another target in the game. So that just says a lot about the the offense, the offensive coordinator, the person. They just are not getting their best playmaker involved. We'll see if they're able to do it here because he's got the talent, but so far it just has not worked out. And then at wide receiver, Bub means he can really break out. He had a breakout game uh, for the Panthers against Wake Forest just a couple of weeks ago. In that game, he had a uh, season-high nine receptions, 109 yards, and a touchdown, including a big one late. It just, he has some moments where he can, I don't know if it's spacing out or miscommunication with the quarterback, but there have been some balls the last couple weeks thrown to him, but he stops his route early, and it's not clear why. There's just a miscommunication there. But he's got a lot of talent. He can certainly break out, and Kanate Mumfield, also supremely talented, uh, transferred in from Akron. He's got a ton of talent, a lot of skill, can be a deep ball threat. It's just about getting him the ball. And all three of those guys can be playmakers if they're able to get them the football. Yeah, when I was first putting these questions together, I was I was just going to talk about Mumfield and Means, and then I saw Bartholomew. He's right behind him in yards, but almost half the receptions. So it's crazy that they're just not getting the ball in, in an obviously talented guy's hands. Yeah, um, finally, on offense, let's look at the offensive line. Uh, they've allowed 16 sacks. Uh, you talked about the Panthers being a ground-and-pound team. They're averaging just at three and a half yards on the ground. It's a very young offensive line, four underclassmen getting majority of the snaps, one senior. Where's this line struggled, and, and where have they found success? Well, they've struggled with injuries. Injuries have been absolutely brutal in a way that I haven't really seen before to this extent. The starting offensive line from game one compared to the starting offensive line from last week against Notre Dame, there is one player that's the same, and that's due to injury. That's not just changing things up. That That is because everyone else has gone down. Jake Cradle is the only person that was healthy in week one and healthy now. Jason Collier started week one. Blake Zabovic, huge part of this offense. He went down with an injury. Matt Gonsalves, the best offensive lineman on the squad. He's out with a season-ending injury. And, and Branson Taylor also got the start in week one. So 
it's just been absolutely brutal when it comes to the injury bug for the offensive line. The new guys, they seem to have talent, but as you said, they're young, they lack experience, they need to gel. It's just going to take a lot for them to come together, and I think this can be valuable for them moving forward, but in terms of this season, there's not much they can do because all of the more reliable, more senior offensive linemen, they just all went down with injuries over and over again. Uh, Florida State fans are unfortunately familiar with that that story. Uh, we've, been, we've suffered on the offensive line uh, some seasons ago with injuries and youth, and it does pay off eventually. But man, it's a brutal it's a brutal journey. It yeah. really is. Oh yeah. Uh, so let's jump over to defense where we haven't really talked much yet, uh, and you didn't really mention uh, in, in your kind of high level overview. I think this defensive line, if I counted right, it's accounted for 14 of the team's 23 sacks. Uh, they've got a decent rotation on the inside with with David Green, DeAndre Jules, and the ends, uh, Dayon Hayes, uh, and, a, and a freshman that looks really impressive, and Samuel Okunlova. Uh, Hopefully I said that right. Uh, I probably didn't, but it, like I said, I, I forgot to go over this with you pre, pre-show, but oh well. Uh, so those are the guys on the ends. So what's allowed this group really to have success? Uh, in the backfield and, and and where have teams found success against this defensive line? So, yeah, this is Narduzzi's style. This is what he did at Michigan State. It's what he's done at Pitt, and it's been incredibly successful. There have been a lot of players from this defense and this system of defense that have been drafted into the NFL since Pat Narduzzi has taken over as head coach. So he, he knows how to get after the quarterback. That's what he wants to do. He wants to put pressure on opposing quarterbacks, wants to get after them, wants to force mistakes. And oftentimes they're able to do it. We saw that against Sam Hartman last week. We've seen it throughout this season, even in a year that they've struggled. And certainly in previous seasons, the year in 2021, when the Panthers won the ACC, that was in large part due to a phenomenal defense that was able to get after the quarterback. They did lose some talent from last year. Kalaja Kansi drafted in the first round uh, in the NFL to uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in uh, in the state of Florida. And they're certainly missing him. But the system is able to, to turn these guys over. And, and they're not quite there yet. But that style, that system of getting after the quarterback and causing mayhem and that has generally worked for the Panthers. I think it still is working this year. It's just it's going to take some time to grow. And in terms of beating them, it's a quarterback who's confident, who's not worried about the pressure, who can get rid of it quickly. If a play breaks down, if the pocket breaks down, he can get out of there. And also staying on the field. That's been both not just the defensive line, but the defense entirely. This defense, I actually think, is very good. And they've showed that for good chunks. The problem is they aren't able to stay off the field for too long because the offense, and I know I keep coming back to this, but the offense can't stay on the field. We see so many three and outs where then the defense has to just get right back in there. And in a lot of these games, we saw this two weeks ago against Wake Forest. The defense plays incredibly well throughout almost the entire game, but then late, they they just fall apart on that final drive because they can only hold opposing offenses for so long. That happened against Wake Forest. That happened against Cincinnati. It happened against West Virginia. They just haven't been put in a great position to succeed because they're not off the field for too long, because the field position battle, when they do take the field, 
the opposing teams normally right around the 50 yard line. So it, it, the offense has not put them in a position to succeed, but certainly those, those front few have a lot of talent. Yeah, I definitely agree that it, it, it seems like a talented group. And uh, to your point, when the offense is struggling like that, it, it's brutal. Uh, let's jump back to linebacker. Solomon DeShields leads this linebacking core on paper. Uh, it looks to be a solid group. They have pretty good PFF numbers, you know, uh, impressive stats. Uh, how would you grade this group so far at uh, the linebackers? I like them. This is probably the most experienced unit this season for the Panthers. A lot of guys coming back from last year's team that played very well. The only player they lost to the NFL was Servasier Dennis, uh, who also got drafted to Tampa Bay. So they, but they do have talent here and they've got experience. Solomon DeShields, he's, he's led them. He, uh, he, he can be a game wrecker. He can be incredibly menacing for opposing offenses. And I think, uh, I think Solomon DeShields, he can come up with some huge plays. Bengali Kamara can as well. And Shane Simon is a solid linebacker as well. So they're talented. They've got experience. This is the one unit that Pitt shouldn't have to worry about too much this year. And they haven't had to worry about them all too much. But uh, we'll see if they're able to do that against such a talented Florida State offense. Uh, finally, let's talk about the secondary. Donovan McMillan's a safety that uh, flying all over the field, leading the team in tackles. Uh, Philip O'Brien and MJ Devonshire both with two interceptions each uh, from the cornerback position. It appears to be a solid group, but how do you expect this group to line up against uh, this talented Florida State wide receiver group? So it'll be interesting because on one hand, it's tough to stop the passing game for Florida State, particularly Keon Coleman. That said, in the Boston College game uh, that, you know, Florida State was right up against it, Keon Coleman was not involved. And so the roadmap is there. It's unclear if the Panthers can get there, but Boston College was able to. So it shouldn't be impossible to replicate MJ Devonshire, he's big play MJ. He can come up with absolutely huge plays, not just interceptions, but even pick sixes. He won the backyard brawl last year against West Virginia with a huge pick six. Uh, he's had one this year. I mean, he he should have, again, when I say should have put the game away against Wake Forest, the game was all but over, and then the team absolutely just choked it away in a controversial uh, referee call. But by all means, his interception should have ended that game against Wake Forest. He comes up in big moments. So if he can get involved and have a big play in there, that would be huge. Uh, O'Brien can also make big plays. McMillan is hot and cold. He is prone to mistakes, but he also has a good amount of talent and and he can certainly get active in there. It's just a big question on if they're actually able to shut down Keon Coleman and they have the talent to do so. But again, it's it's a lot easier said than done. Yeah, it, I, I, you know, when I was reading through and, and trying to prep, it really kind of stood out to me like, OK, this defense looks impressive, you know, on paper, like. And looking at these players and looking at some of their stats, and and then you go and look at the scores, and like you said, the offense has just put them in such a, a, a dire straits at times. So uh, let me just end it and say, let's talk about Saturday, three thirty matchup. How do you expect this game to go on Saturday? So this this game will be interesting. Uh, Pitt is known as like the Death Star team. This this is a team that can blow up team's hopes that are looking to win a national championship. They did it 
years ago, and I believe it was 2007 against West Virginia, who was ranked second in the country, set to go into the national championship game to win their first ever national championship. And Pitt beat them 13 to nine in a big rivalry win. It happened uh, a few years ago. I believe it was 2016 against Clemson when Pitt went down to Death Valley and beat the Tigers 42 to 39 in the year that Clemson ended up going on to win the national championship. Pitt was the only team to beat them that year. Uh, It's happened against Miami the year that Miami was number two and looking phenomenal. I believe that was 2017 and Pitt was able to beat them. And to a lesser extent, it already happened this year against Louisville. So this is a team that, just when you don't expect anything from the Panthers, they can pull off a huge upset against a top-ranked team. So that is possible. I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, this Pitt team, I think they just don't have enough on offense. I still don't trust Signetti's offense. And the defense, I think, can hold on for a while. My guess would be this game could be close by halftime, maybe somewhere in the third quarter. This can be like a one possession game, but I think as I've seen multiple times this season, the offense doesn't do much. They don't put the defense in a position to succeed, and eventually the defense is just worn out. So I could very well imagine this being a one possession game around halftime and then come fourth quarter, Florida State starts pulling away. Doesn't look to be any particular bad weather, mid to low 50s probably for the game, so not necessarily Tallahassee weather, but also not anything that is completely foreign uh, to a lot of those players. So I don't think that's going to be too much of a factor. So, yeah, I think right now, I think Florida State 21 and a half point favorites. I think maybe just a little bit shy of that. Maybe Florida State wins by somewhere between 17 and 20. But I, I do think it could be close for a little bit, but then they pull away late. Yeah, you know, when uh, we, we had to put our predictions down on an article that's not out yet, and I kind of said the same thing. I expect a slow start uh, offensively because I think that Pittsburgh defense is going to be a challenge to get going. But obviously, as you said, the offense is not going to uphold their end, yeah. unfortunately. So I could see that happening. Well, uh, before I get you out of, out of here, Corey, uh, let me ask you, uh, give you a choose your own adventure question. I'll give you three topics. Uh, you tell me what you want to talk about and I'll give you a question. So uh, uh, professional wrestling, uh, TV shows and streaming, and then just just a general college football uh, question. So uh, which area would you like the question from? Let's go TV shows and streaming. All right, Corey. Uh, I know we've been on strike, but uh, always plenty of TV out there to watch. So what are you currently watching uh, that you would recommend? It's tough. I'm kind of in a lull right now because two of my favorite shows, honestly, all time ended right around the same time earlier this year, that succession and Ted Lasso. And uh, so it's, I'm, I'm kind of in a lull right now. Sports have been taking up a good chunk of what I've been watching. Um, I do get into some reality TV and I have to say right now, the golden bachelor is incredible (laughs) television. I am absolutely loving it. Um, The stakes are high. The people are likable. It's uh, it's actually refreshing reality TV instead of just seeing like immature people scream over each other. It's actually been really enjoyable to watch. So uh, I'm, I'm still on the hunt for something scripted. I think because of, of the strikes, Everything obviously got slowed down, so there's not much coming out now that you would think. But um, 
in terms of TV, yeah, I'm I'm going with that. And then uh, I think I'll have to rewatch Oppenheimer when it comes out on uh, on video or you know whatever direct to to home. Really was not expecting a Bachelor in Paradise uh, reference, but I'll take it, Corey. Uh, <laughs> all right, uh, so take a minute, tell everybody uh, where they can find you and, and find your work. Yeah, so uh, you can find me on Twitter. My handle is at Corey E. Cohen. That is C-O-R-E-Y-E-C-O-H-E-N. You can also find me on Blue Sky at Corey Cohen. You can find me over at the Pit Talk Network on the uh, Pit spot on the Fans First Sports Network for all things Pit Panthers. So you can, wherever you get your podcast, just search for Pit Talk Network. Subscribe there to listen to uh, to new episodes that uh, drop all the time. You can also follow Pit Talk Network on Twitter and Blue Sky. And uh, you can also find me on the FFSN College Football feed. This will be something that a lot of Florida State fans will enjoy. I host two shows, uh, national shows, on the FFSN College Football feed. One of them is called Fourth Quarter Chaos, uh, where each week, usually on Monday, my co-host and I break down the 10 most chaotic games from the weekend of college football. We talk about them. We gave the, give them a chaos rating. And we just have a good time with, with some of these, uh, you know, absolutely absurd games that we enjoy every week in a college football weekend. So that is Fourth Quarter Chaos. And my other is called Action Packed, and it's all about the ACC. So a lot of Florida State talk on there. We've got an episode dropping on uh, likely the same day as this Friday, the third. We'll be back midweek the next week. Uh, yeah, we, we talk every week about the biggest games in ACC football. We preview upcoming games. We give power rankings. We talk about this week. We talked about Florida State, what we think is going to happen. Do they need to go undefeated to make it into the playoff? Would one loss knock them out? So a lot of conversation about the ACC as a whole, certainly about Florida State this season. So you can find us over on Action Packed, both of those podcasts on the FFSN college football feed. Like I said at the top, Corey, one of the busiest men, uh, according to Twitter out there. So you, you're doing a ton. I encourage everybody to go check it, check these out. I definitely want to check out Fourth Quarter Chaos. That sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, Corey, thanks so much for being on. Uh, we'll see what happens this Saturday. But uh, for Corey Cohen, my name is Tim Allenball. This has been the Line of Scrimmage podcast presented by Tomahawk Nation. And until next time, let's keep climbing.